Hello and welcome to the Matt Belair podcast. As an explorer of the mind and world, author and coach, I have spent a lifetime learning how to push my limits and achieve my highest potential. My mission is to bring you the most inspiring, conscious, and empowering teachers, leaders, and thinkers on the planet. To bring you stories, lessons, and messages that will help you master your mind, body, and spirit. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Good day, wonderful citizen of planet Earth. We are back at it again with Michael Horn, and we are exploring the Billy Meyer UFO contactee case, ETs, disclosure, and all of that kind of fun stuff. Um, In this episode, it is a little bit mind-blowing. You can watch it on YouTube. There are lots of pictures and things like that where uh, Michael goes through the presentation. So we talk about... uh, the scrolls Meyer found, the Talmud Emmanuel, the spaceship underneath the pyramids, uh, the fake second coming, aligning with yourself as the master and teacher, removing religious dogmas, uh, Meyer's correct information on Mars, I guess he predicted. So it's a very interesting, we talk about crafts, so it's a very interesting podcast. Um, I know that you're going to enjoy it. It is fascinating. With anything UFO and disclosure and all that kind of stuff, um, I'm interested in. I am firmly convinced that there are other advanced civilizations if you look at Egypt if you look at uh, different cases but with any of these um, podcasts or if you're doing your own research just see if you can find corroborating evidence don't really believe or or disbelieve anything do your own research some interesting stuff that I found is uh, the Bob Lazar documentary I heard of a lot of different people saying no Bob is legit Um, the pictures that um, Michael shares they look fake but the thing is um, apparently they were they're checked I, I can't verify that but they're what Bob Lazar describes in working on these crafts. So that's fascinating right there. So there's a lot of interesting stuff. Uh, David Lombeer told me about the 1952 event in Washington, D.C. Um, I've also learned about the Betty and Barney Hill abduction, which is very fascinating. And uh, so there's a lot of cases out there and tons and tons of sightings that are, are directing towards some sort of phenomenon going on. So take it with a grain of salt. It is definitely entertaining um, and make up your own mind. In the, in the middle, uh, Michael does kind of say, you know, all the other guys are baloney and I don't really believe in that. And I wish he kind of left that slide out, but I think he's just a little bit upset trying to get his own message out there. But I think we should present the information that we have from our own direct experiences. And I've had my own direct experiences that were really mind blowing and we're seeking the truth, open-mindedness, the truth and um and do your own research and make up your own mind so it's a great episode i know you're going to enjoy it if you want to support please um share this episode take a screenshot let me know where you're we're listening on instagram you can leave a review in itunes that's super helpful and i want to thank all my patrons your support it it means a lot and it helps immensely so thank you so much steve chapman for tossing a buck in the bucket and you can go to patreon.com forward slash matt belair if you want to go do that um and for those of you guys who are interested in coaching speaking um whether it's for you one-on-one for your organization or training just hit me up matt at zenathlete.com happy to help you out work with you guys i have a lot of different programs and a lot of different subjects from flow state consciousness peak performance even sales and marketing with my background so if there's any way i can help you your organization please let me know 
know. And uh, thanks to all my current clients, they're really spectacular people. You know, everywhere, everyone from a, a chef who's doing incredible work to a DJ to uh, business people to everything, just really beautiful people. I'm privileged to be working with with all you guys. So thank you so much for that. Um, and I think we're ready to get into this episode. Um, sign up for the email list and all that kind of fun stuff. So before we get into it, let's come to a state of peace and coherence. So wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing, taking a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath, set the intention to come to peace and coherence and let that breath out slowly, feeling totally peaceful, connected, empowered, energetic, and ready to take on the day in this incredible episode with Michael Horn. Hello and welcome to the Mastermind, Body, and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. Today's guest is the authorized American media representative for the Billy Meyer Contacts which he has researched since 1979 and which have been now independently proved to be absolutely authentic. He is the writer and producer of the award-winning feature-length documentary, And Did They Listen?, as well as As the Time Fulfills, The Silent Revolution of Truth, and The Meyer Contacts, The Key to Our Future Survival. He is also the creator of the innovative interactive mindfulness and stress relief program, Standing in Spirit, which he has taught to leaders all over the world. Welcome to the show, Michael Horn. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate it. Nice intro. Yeah, thanks. Well, you know, I, I when you reached out, I, I um, was unfamiliar with this specific story, and I find it uh, really interesting that you've researched one case uh, for so long, I'm sure in that research, you've learned about a lot of different things. And so in the space of UFOs and, uh, you know, extraterrestrials in space, there is a lot of nonsense. I do get reached out quite a bit. Um, and, and it's not that it's just they're not, let's say, as researched or as credible, you know, it's like, there needs to be a little bit more time because uh, who it's based on more interpretation and your work is is based on a lot of research. So uh, I'll stop chatting and I'll just let you introduce yourself to the audience a little bit about who you are um, and what your research has been about. Sure. I'm what's his name? <laughs> I'm Michael Horn and uh, I've been researching the Billy Meyer uh, UFO contacts in Switzerland for the past 40 years and um, it's been quite a ride. Because in that period of time, as you, Matt, are alluding to other so-called cases and contacts, I've had the opportunity, of course, to look at lots of other claimed cases. Um, you know, when I present or let's say do an interview, I, I like what you're doing, which is to ask questions because I don't want to come in with a preconceived long spiel. But since you introduced it that way, I can tell you also to, to be direct, I have not found any other evidence of an actual extraterrestrial, verifiable extraterrestrial contact case, and I'll go farther, I have not yet seen any verifiable evidence that is of extraterrestrial manufacture or origin, I mean, apart from things that fly around in space, meteors, meteorites, etc. So this has made me, I like to say, uh, Persona au gratin with the UFO community. They're not happy with this position where I say the Billy Meyer UFO contacts are the singularly authentic UFO contacts going on. 
And, you know, I, I do have a PowerPoint here, and some of these points will be made in it. But uh, I wouldn't care, quite frankly, if there were three or five or 30 genuine UFO cases with people really in contact with extraterrestrials. But how's about, since I see that I'm going to go on this kind of a track, can we, can I bring the, um, uh, what do you call it here, the uh, PowerPoint into play and try to bring that up so we could use that as a reference point? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just uh, pop up screen share. I'll make sure it, it, it's going. Okay, I'm looking for that here on my PowerPoint and I'm not seeing it. Oh, you um, want to do it? You want to do it within the Zoom? Hit uh, share in the Zoom. Okay, so I've got to go back to our Zoom and I will find that here in one second. Uh, pardon me, folks. This, this high level tech nodularly ain't my <laughs> Yeah, so we'll I'm, get there. We'll get there. Okay. I'm looking for where the zoom went on, on this. Uh, let me just see really quickly if I can find it. So I'll, I'll chatter a bit in the meantime uh, about all of this. You know, there have been so many claimed uh, UFO contacts, so many claimed experiences of people who are, uh, you know, channeling extraterrestrials who are being visited by extraterrestrials in relationships, having their babies, et cetera, et cetera, that it can get to be just a little bit, uh, you know, perplexing and overwhelming. I think I'm about to be able to have this come up. Do we see that now? Bingo. You're in. All right. So here's the bingo. So I've got to get this into full screen, make it a little more um, presentable and viewable. All right. So that's my website. All righty. So what we're looking at here is one of nine photographs out of the 1,200 plus that Meyer took, primarily daytime, of UFOs. And this is a series where this object was photographed by Meyer going around a tree. Now, it's important that people know from the get-go that any and all of the evidence that we'll be showing here and talking about in terms of hard physical evidence was all presented by Meyer to the investigators in the pre-digital era. He shot his photographs with either 35 millimeter cameras or something more primitive, never with a, uh, you know, a real digital camera. There was no Photoshop at the time. He never processed his own films. Everything was done, or photographs, everything was done through labs and all. And so if any questions come up at any point about this, please drop them in there and I'll do my best to answer them. So this is where we have, you know, the question and where I, uh, you know, don't endear myself to the, what I call the UFO industry, because at this point it is truly, it's an industry. There's a lot of money that's made overall in all of the aspects of so-called ufology. Now, let's see if I can get this to share. Now here is the point that I like to make, and it really is this, that the confirmed existence and i'm not going to read each one of these everybody can you know see a lot of this themselves it, if we confirm the existence of extraterrestrial life it would be the single greatest discovery in all of science and his you know human history i don't think we could disagree with that um except to say that it would be exceeded only by the confirmed contact that we really had 
corroborated, confirmed, ironclad contact between extraterrestrials and a person or the people of Earth, whatever way we want to look at it. So we do have to, you know, be scientific and we have to be realistic and start to look at what, you know, how do we determine the truth? And it is through looking at evidence. And we have what's called foundational evidence in this case. This is a drawing of an alleged extraterrestrial woman uh, who went by the name of, or goes by the name of Asket, or she's called Asket. So I'm trying to move these things so that things can be seen. Ah, well, we'll see what happens here with this. Meyer took his first UFO photographs in 1964, and he took them while he was kind of like a vagabond, uh, roaming around Europe, Asia, uh, in search of studies pertaining to the world's religions and other things, working his way through life to gain worldly knowledge and experience. Because since the age of five, we're told, he was having not only the experiences of you know growing up in Switzerland, but he was having experiences of contact with more advanced people. We'll get there. So he studies, around 1964, he is at the Ashoka Ashram in Maroli, India. And what we're looking at is a 1964, you know, clearly pre-digital photo of what's said to be Asket's craft hovering near this ashram. And I'm going to show you several photos. Some are kind of sepia tone now, some perhaps a little different, like this one, a little more in black and white. Some will be redundant, but we'll just show you the, the ones we have. A little bit of a close-up that was done, not from by Billy, but just zooming in on the, on the photograph. Here you have eight of what would normally be accepted UFO photos, lights in the sky, 1964. And um, perhaps you can see my pointer. There's a woman here in the lower right hand. And this was the woman who was acting kind of as the nanny for a, a young girl named Pobal Cheng. And Pobal Cheng's grandfather was the head monk of this ashram. Now, these are these lights are said to be Asket and seven of her compatriots, or six, there might be whatever you can see there, uh, because Meyer was being visited regularly, we're told, by Asket at this time. And this is one of the more interesting and unusual photographs that came from that time. Now, uh, a little background, a little more background is that during that period of time when he's in, in India studying at the Ashoka Ashram, uh, Asket is visiting with him, including walking the grounds with him. Pobal Chang, the young girl, is one of over 100 eyewitnesses to the craft and to Asket. And it's an interesting story. So what do we have here? We, oops, this gets tricky on me. What we have here is Billy Meyer seated on the ground with a spire from one of the buildings on the ashram behind him. And this cross in the sky. Now I'll explain that what we're looking at is a photograph in one of Billy's albums. I was there with my photographer, 2006. We're making a film called The Silent Revolution of Truth and Billy's taking us through his albums and all, and we get up close and we are filming that, and we, you know, uh, I think we may have taken a photograph where we captured stills from the film. That is not painted on the film. It's not a of tape. 
It's no artifact that was added to the photograph. If you look carefully, this white cross in the sky is also got some partial, uh, you could say, obfuscation or effect of the clouds here and maybe there. What we are told this was is a holographic projection done by Eskett from her craft. Uh, Meyer had handed the camera to a woman, I think a German woman who was there also at the time. She takes the photograph and here's this crazy old cross in the sky. I thought about it, my own answer, my own interpretation as to why this photograph was taken encompasses an understanding of a lot of the information in the case that's tied to India, that's tied to Meyer, and is tied to his alleged previous personalities in previous incarnation, okay? Again, there's nothing to believe here. I'm simply gonna describe what we have and let people look at that, questions, challenges, fine and dandy, any and all, because I can't prove that what I'm about to tell you is the truth. I can tell you that this photograph, to the best of my knowledge and the knowledge of my cinematographer, producer, director, has not been altered. It's an old photograph I'll show you in a minute the camera it was taken with. Why this was taken, in my opinion, is because Meyer is said to be the current incarnation uh, the current personality of a prophet that lived long ago. As a matter of fact, in this case, it's said that he's the, his spirit has reincarnated. This Previously, there have been six other prophets who bore the same evolving spirit. Going back, and I'll give you the names. And again, folks, not to be believed, simply information. Enoch, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Emmanuel, Nobody's heard of, we'll get back to him, and Muhammad. All six were said to be, in, in, via the material in this case, genuine prophets, all in contact with the, the you know, the play Aaron of the time for the purpose of bringing the spiritual teaching, not a religion, not a belief set, but the spiritual teaching of this creation, this universe, to earth for the benefit of the earth people who had already thousands of years ago been misled by various religions and cults and sects, and it would only get worse. So they're trying to utilize a, a human being who's already, in terms of his previous experiences and other personalities, highly developed and advanced and who can carry this responsibility to bring forward information, primarily in six other times when writing and reading was not ubiquitous. You had a so-called prophet who would speak this teaching to people and try to penetrate their thinking, and he would have various uh, followers or disciples, some of whom would be tasked with writing things down, and then the religions would grab this stuff and get it screwed up. This is a you know, compressed version. So Emmanuel is, we are told, the real name of a prophet that we uh, recognize or you know, are known by a false name, which is Jesus Christ, the name of the human being for which there is zero historical record, while there is religious and mythological you know, kind of record, a human being who by that name never walked the earth. Okay, maybe, maybe not. Emmanuel is mentioned in Isaiah 7:14, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. 
and in Matthew 1.23 in the two different testaments, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. So what we're told here, and there's a whole body of information, which right now I'm not going to take us off on, but rather that Emmanuel was a real person. He was a contact person with the play iron extraterrestrial of that time. He brought a spirit, the spiritual teaching to earth. He had a trusted scribe named Judas who did not betray him. Another man by a similar name did. He was crucified but survived the crucifixion because of the education and training he received from Indian yogi masters, if you will, in the Himalayas as part of his training on earth at that time with the help of the play iron of that time. It, it's quite an interesting story, and there's a new translation of all of the original, uh, well, I'd say most of the original teaching of Emmanuel is in a book. Okay. And there's a lot that's freely available online. So that's kind of why I think what they've done here is, here's Billy Meyer, the current incarnation of this you know, prophet lineage in India, the place to which not only had Emmanuel traveled to be taught, but where he and his family and some other people, disciples, went after the crucifixion. There's no resurrection. He was healed. Whole story there. And in the sky is the symbol of the Christianity that was made out of the crucifixion. Okay, so we've gone a little far afield perhaps for some folks, but this is the uh, camera that all of the 1964 photographs were taken with. My father had one of these. It's a 1940s Kodak Bellows camera. It's a, it's a real primitive thing you can't do much with, other than if you can roll it out and take pictures and they developed, congratulations. So no fancy effects, simple. Here is an article. This is where we get the first documentation. This paper, the Delhi Statesman, is a highly reputable newspaper in India that had already been in existence for about a hundred years at the time that a very well-respected reporter heard about this Edward Albert Meyer, met him, interviewed him, and described about a dozen of the, no, well, he actually was looking at 80 of the photos in there. We have almost a dozen of those same photos, including the cross. And in that article, he describes that cross in the sky. We're going back now 55 years. So, here he talks about this vagabond who's got 80 UFO photos in a binder. He's kind of reclusive. He's not trying to sell him photos. He is not looking for publicity and fame. He explains his life story as best he can at that point to the guy. So we have this documents his life at the age of 27. Po Bal Cheng, who was the young girl at the ashram at the time, she was the eyewitness to that all those events, she, after she grows up, she becomes the UN ambassador for Cambodia for a dozen years. She's not a slouch. She comes for, here she is with her younger brother, and then she's, you know, I'm sorry if we're getting the text creeped out a bit there. Okay, Dharmawara is the grandfather, the head monk. And here's the photograph taken in 67. They all were witnesses of Ascot with Meyer, Ascot and the UFOs, etc. Okay, so she's a real person indeed. And what we have here are 80 original UFO photos seen and described by the reporter. Oops, get back there. 
11 actually, maybe more, we'll, we'll double check, but 11 at least are still available, including the cross in the sky. And here is the still living, credible eyewitnesses. Because Po Bol Chang in about 1998, perhaps it is, she makes a public presentation, which was videotaped. Uh, I think this is in Laughlin at the International UFO Congress. And she is describing, uh, narrating about the photographs, where they were taken on the property, and she had another woman, a woman named Sasi, S-A-S-I, who also spoke at this event, who was also an eyewitness. And here she is in 2000. She's now well-retired from the UN. She goes in 2000 to visit with Billy. They spend days, basically almost sleeplessly, you know, reliving things in their lives and talking about things. She goes to India in 2000 to visit the ashram again. She's a pretty straight up, Woman, as a matter of fact, and I don't have, I don't think I showed on this, but in our film, The Silent Revolution of Truth, I brought in a man who did NLP uh, and, uh, you know, body language reading for the military, U.S. military, and I had him analyze, just for credibility, Hobalt Chang and Meyer, both with no sound. Even though Billy was speaking in German, I didn't want to risk that this guy would understand and have an opinion nor did I want him to know what she was talking about. And in both cases, when I said, well, how do you assess these people? He says, well, they're congruent. They look like they you know, are comfortable with what they're saying. They believe what they're saying. I don't see any evidence of deception. I'd have to say they're genuine. Okay. So now I come back to this idea because we're talking about UFOs. And let's face it, everybody and their brother these days is a UFO contactee. They're married to ET. The whole work. So what you're looking at, you will not find anywhere else. This photo, I think this is 1976. You can see this is a craft with dissimilar metals. There's flanging and cupola stuff and some kind of stuff going on on top. This photograph is taken by a one-armed Swiss man in 1965. One-armed because he lost his arm after his time in India, around 1964 or so. And he has brought to the world unparalleled evidence, quality, clarity, abundance. It goes on and on. Nobody that I have ever seen in 40 years of yoga research has produced one piece of evidence like this. And that includes all of the wonderful people who tell us their contactees and their experts and all. And here we see another one of his photos hovering over the Swiss countryside. I've been at this location myself, I believe. If you look carefully, you can see that there is a goldish band of metal here. There is a little antenna here. There's some structures in here, flanging, all this. Billy Meyer is not known for doing metal work. He's not a jeweler. He's a one-armed guy who does, the work that he does is with equipment, with, his, with plants, with operating what, as well as he can, you know, tools. We saw one of these photographs in the very beginning. This is another one. If you'll look, you'll see the reflection of the trees of the, of the sky somewhat there. This tree is not a miniature. It's not a model. How do we know? We sent photographs. Actually, before I was involved, photographs were sent by investigators to forestry experts. And they said, forget about these objects. Are these real trees? Are they models, miniatures? What can you tell us? And the forestry expert said, well, you know, that's a weird ass looking thing, but the trees, 
they're real trees, they're mature trees. There's some pruning marks uh, you'll see on some other photographs perhaps. This is called nesting up here. When you make a miniature or model tree, you don't do that kind of stuff. You just make the tree to look like a tree of a certain species. The fact that the tree here in the foreground is blurred is because the camera that Meyer is using, this 35 millimeter camera, is stuck. The viewfinder is stuck on an infinity or distance level. So he will get more clarity with that camera from objects that are farther from him. Okay. Here's another one of the same object going around the tree. Here's one we started with in the beginning. If you look in here, there's some kind of landscape reflected or what have you. And maybe here we're seeing reflection of the tree. Who's got a piece of evidence for us? Now we're, we're shooting down, it's you know, more from the top. We see the multiple flanging here for the cupola. These are windows, screens they call them because of how they operate. And we're back to that or this, just again, take a look at the photos. Here's one from a different angle. That's Switzerland, right? Beautiful place. Billy Meyer sitting on a hillside because people said, you may photograph our spacecraft that travel hundreds of millions of light years to come to Earth so that we might be able to shake loose some of the crap in human beings' heads that they don't blow themselves off the face of the Earth and we can't do anything about it. We can't come down and interfere. Our forefathers and others did that millennia ago. They were the gods of your religions and they screwed you up, but you gotta get out of it. So this is also from a film. In the film, these two crafts here are rotating and hovering as this one's just hovering. And then suddenly in the film, these two disappear and this one remains. The branches in the foreground, the wind is blowing. Occasionally you get a little movement. Why is there a branch here or in the other one? Because they wanted to give Meyer the best photographic evidence so that people who could think as well as analyze would go, hmm, object in foreground, very clear. Object in distance, not clear. So when the Skeptics try to re reproduce his photos. and They dangle little models. They're close to the camera. And every time you can see, well, that's very clear. That's nice. It's very close to the camera. And we, Mr. Skeptic, would you like to have your photos tested? Would, no, thank you. Why? Because we know. So this photo is taken from within one of the craft, 1975 or six, above Switzerland. We have a UFO in the foreground. We have a UFO in the background hovering over Switzerland, as we have in this one. Two of the photos that Meyer took through the screen from inside the ship. Can you tell me of any other UFO case where we have one clear, absolutely convincingly non-terrestrial craft that's been analyzed and shown to be a large object a distance from the camera? No, this is part of a film. Watch carefully here and here on the craft. Keep your eyes on that. Ah, little flash of light. Flash of light, flash of light coming from the flange. Okay, 1976. Meyer did not build remote controlled, self propelled models that had lights go off on them. This is, and he took a few dozen photographs the same day. We'll see this one more time. Lights, camera, action. Okay, where do we see anything like that? Here we see this craft. Look at, first of all, look at something here. And that is, look at the distance between here 
and the sky, you know, above all our stuff up there. That's a huge distance. He's shooting this from hundreds of feet away. Now, people say, oh, that's just a little thing on a pendulum. Really? Try to control a, an object on a pendulum, first of all, that's hundreds of feet from the camera. Now, also watch the top of the tree. Watch carefully. You'll see it. Here it comes. The top of the tree moves under the backwash of this object. Hmm. How's that possible if it's a little model on a string? Films, photographs, anybody? No. We're all UFO experts. Everybody's meeting with extraterrestrials, and none of us have a damn piece of proof. So there was a guy uh, just a few years ago, five years ago, Raul Zahid did several analyses. One was on the pendulum craft that we just saw. And in one of the frames, he found that the craft was in two places at the same time on eight millimeter you know, movie footage. Pretty nice trick. He was able to get the original footage? Pardon me? He was able to get the original footage? He got the only available footage that they had, yeah. Um, and it had already been analyzed at Nippon TV as well, but he dug into it frame by frame. Uh, this gets, it just keeps on kind of going. Now we, and stop me if you, if there's more questions I can, there's some things I don't have more information on and you can find these documents. These um, analyses are online, they're on my website. So you can dig into that. Well, I'll just now, make, I'll just make a comment because uh, some, some people will be listening to this on a podcast, so they won't see the visuals. But, you know, what we're going through right now is a series of pictures that if you look at the YouTube channel that you'll be able to see for yourself um, and analyzing them. The interesting thing that you're suggesting is that all of these pictures have been um, researched to, to verify their authenticity. In viewing some of these pictures, the first thing that comes to mind is like a, a, the classic disc-shaped uh, UFO unidentified flying object. And I'm curious about scale. And also, you know, what is, uh, what's that um, Occam's razor? Like the simplest answer is all, often the, the truth. And, you know, I've actually had a couple of UFO experiences with, with a, a light. Um, both of them were lights. They weren't craft and they were close and it was only me and it was super intense. Um, also studying with the Native American elders, uh, they all believe in, in basically extraterrestrials or, or space travelers or, or sky people or that kind of thing. Now, that being all said, um, in viewing these, the first thing that comes to my mind is it looks like it could be even something that the government will be working on. It looks like drones. They look like these cylinder drones or like also Tesla technology. So when I had my first um, UFO experience, one of my friends was like, well, don't you think with the, everything we know about the military industrial complex that this could be some sort of uh, US government um, craft that you don't know about? Similar to the, I still haven't watched it yet, but it was the, the documentary um, that was uh, beyond majestic. And, they, and the whole premise of that was uh, that Germany was in contact with U or extraterrestrials and they were giving them technology to build craft and this visually looks like something that a human would make at that time like some sort of um advanced drone like a cylinder advanced drone and i forget um what it is but they were making levitating um 
like a, it's a standing board. You see that? You know what I'm talking about? It's a standing board that levitated and they had it going around and they had that technology active and working. So I just wanted to make that comment and, um, you know, hear what you, what you think and just curious about the scale of some of these. Some of them look like they could be drone size. Other ones look like they actually might be a little bit bigger. Then that would be a, a different, uh, different thing altogether. Sure. Okay. So let's address some of that. Um, you spoke about, uh, you know, the disc shape. Well, where do we get the idea of the disc and what, what's represented by a disc and why would we, these are, you know, why would we assume that if it's a disc shape, if we want to make assumptions that it therefore has to be made on earth or just a imaginary or a model or anything else. The disc is a shape. We have Frisbees, right? That we developed subsequent to UFOs, but the disc shape is an efficient shape. But that being said, what we've learned in the Meyer case is that we're presented with certain images that we can deal with that in some cases also bring forward memories or senses in, in the consciousness of many people who have long ago previous connections to civilizations that use these craft. This is kind of to awaken a thing. Now, when we went back to that pendulum craft video, I deliberately pointed out the distance between the craft and the sky, because as you'll see, when you go to that analysis, it's impossible. That was a farmhouse that that craft was above with a tree next to it. And as the object we're looking at here, which we'll get more into too, is a non-conventional image. We don't have anything like this as a reference point. Again, we do have the reference point. I'll, I'll come back to this. The Germans, that information, yes. The Germans in the 30s more, 20s to 40s somewhere, they got some assistance from extraterrestrials who thought that the Germans, because of their own orientation towards order and this and that we're going to help to bring a stability to Europe and the world so that things would be wonderful and, and get organized on earth for earth people. The big mistake was that then the Nazism came in and they had to deliberately input into the plans because the Germans built craft that were alternative technology that could travel at high speeds. They were not interplanetary. They're not interdimensional. They were just advanced. They were anti-gravitic craft. And then the, information that was input into the plans caused them to be quite limited in, in their application. Wendell Stevens, Lieutenant Colonel Wendell Stevens, who was the original lead investigator in this, had more information on that as well, because in 1947, in the Air Force, he was tasked with investigating UFOs. And he was very interested. Once he left the Air Force, he went into the, you know, st still studying UFOs. And what he did tell me about the uh, World War II time, was that he knew, uh, however I didn't d d delve into it, but through the Air Force, that the Germans had sent up two disks at one point when the Allies were doing a huge multi-hundred uh, plane bombing run, or at least maybe 100 to 200 planes. And one of the disks had a beam-type weapon that simply interfered with the, elect the electrical in the conventional aircraft to throw off the firing so that there would be interruption in the propulsion of the bombers, causing them to slow up and causing chain reaction crashing of, of craft into the lead planes. And he said he did not understand why the Germans did not use that technology again in the war. The other craft uh, didn't have a strong function, but we're talking about affirming the information about the Germans having alternative craft. Most UFO sightings, according to the information in this case, 
and I feel safe in saying it's having also had seven sightings of craft, one within a matter of feet, 20 feet away, which was not military. But the majority of craft that people see, the majority of the phenomenon is military. It's not extraterrestrial. And I can give you a reasoning for that. And part of it is simply this. If people think that, first of all, knowing that our military does have and took possession of the plans post-World War II, we were one of maybe four countries that got some of that the plans and technology that we could then uh, develop through secret military, Canada, Great Britain, even Russia. So the whole thing of UFOs and extraterrestrials, uh, they don't necessarily equate to the same thing. The logic behind lots and lots of human beings of Earth of having contact with or even close sightings of ET craft is very low because there's no logical reason for the majority of such claims, meaning that they should be extraterrestrial. There's more logic saying it's terrestrial. And I, I know people who've worked even here at, uh, at Dulce and at Camp Navajo who have observed secret military craft within the last 15 years that the military here has. And he, one guy who knows drones, he was told by somebody, oh, it's just a drone flying overhead doing these crazy angles. And he said, that's not a drone. My hair on my head is standing up. And, and this was a guy who wasn't into the Meyer case, but found out about it through me and had me speak about it. Long story. Point being, the UFOs will ultimately turn out to be the least important factor in this case, but they have gotten the attention. And they can, we have three, no, more than three, we have three recent analyses. The pendulum craft, we just saw uh, the, you know, going around the tree. The object we're looking at, which is called, the wedding cake ship. Now, the tree that you're looking at there is a real mature tree, approximately 30 to 40 feet high. It has pruning marks down here. It has the nesting here as well. And this object, through analysis, there will be shown that there are three different sizes of this. Here you can see, pardon me, I'll try and get us out of the way a little bit. Another angle of one off to the side focused in, it's tilted. Now it's kind of high, it's at treetop level. So if, if this is, this object is gonna turn out to be about at least 14 feet in diameter, if Billy Meyer, the one-armed farmer, so to speak, can get up to a comparable height to hang this thing at an angle, that's a nice trick. And here it is 15 feet from him in his front yard. Now let's look a little more. This object has these globes all around it. The reflection here is of the carriage house that is behind it. There are, the, actually when, with better lighting, there are blue lenses in these openings. We have these very, a variety of colored crystal and or lights here. There are about 100 of these red lights set in all around the rim of this craft. Now, some of these close-ups, you know, you can only get an idea, you can see the blueness in here. This is a nighttime photo of that craft. Now the skeptics say, well, what you're showing us here is a, you know, an orange model against the black curtain. Now I'm gonna draw your attention to a couple things. Look here at this band, looks like a burnished band. Here's this row of globes and here's this one. When you go here, that burnished band 
is produced when this top part of the cupola raises up to about there. Forward again. Otherwise, this is sitting down here. Hmm. Billy Meyer never mentioned that. I asked him about it eight years ago. Oh, yeah. Well, they raised the cupola up for another room. There's a space in there. Okay, well, what do we do with that? Well, we look at that and we see there in, in this shot, people think these nice 100 precisely placed crystals here are done by a guy with one arm, one hand, placed in, and it's a nighttime shot, or no, it's a model against the black curtain until the guy who does the analysis of this simply takes that photograph, you can pull right off of that, my, my website, a 35 millimeter photo, puts it into Photoshop, he alters the brightness and the contrast. Ooh, gee, what's that? What's well, an energy? It looks like colors around this thing that's hovering. There's, a, in reality, there's a gravel road and there's a grassy hillside. And in Switzerland, they have these like one meter high posts. Oh, how did he figure out how to trick Photoshop 32 years earlier and never mention it himself? There's a guy in Hong Kong. He does the same thing. His modifications are different. They're darker. We get a darker version of this, but we get energy colors around the ship, the object, whatever you want to call it. And you can do that yourself. You don't have to rely on anybody's belief about that. I'll send people the link. It shows. Now you can prove to yourself. This was the display I got for about 15 seconds in Times Square when I took out a press release about some things in the Meyer case. And, you know, probably people in New York, I mean, it's, what do they care? All right, so here's the analysis. That's a 74-page analysis. The protocols and the computer technology and everything else used are listed in here by Raul Zahi, as he did with the pendulum craft. Then we go to this, a glowing fluorescent bathtub-like thing hovering over Meyer's property. Also back then, somewhere around 1980, his photograph stopped 1981 because he's, as well as his films or anything, because the play iron say, no more films, no more photos. You're coming into the computer age. People are going to attack you anyhow. There's no point in it. Okay. So the experts say, well, that's a, that's just a, a double exposure or a superimposition. You know, here's a little close up and you can see the light is kind of going around things and coloring. Gee. So Raul Zahi does another analysis and he sees that in, the number of photographs provided of this weird object, it changes size. There are, you can even see there's a certain quality of light that comes straight down from it. He found no superimpositions. I knew a guy for 50 years who after high school became a, not only a movie maker, but a special effects guy who was not into UFOs. I sent him this, uh, this photo. And I said, what is that? He says, it's a triple exposure taken in the camera. I don't know what that thing is, but it's outside of the camera. That's not, you know, an effect. And this guy had no, you know, horse in the UFO race. He, these are some other aspects of photos in this whole series on the so-called energy ships. What can you do with that? Well, here's another phenomenon that occurred. In 2006, I think, I was contacted by some people from something called WAG TV in London. They were saying, hey, we heard about Billy Meyer in Switzerland. Can we do 15 minutes with him? Meet you over there, do an interview. Call Billy, he says, yep, fine, they can come over. 
about an hour and a half into our 15 minute interview, because they just keep on asking them questions, someone comes in Billy's office and says, hey, Billy, why don't you show him the car? And, oh yeah, the car, let's go out to the car. So here's the car, that's Billy's only hand right there. Um, and what you're looking at is the hood of, I don't know, a 1980s, 90s uh, Subaru sedan. And this, this handprint here has a thumb, and it has one, two, three, four, five, six fingertips. There's some more stuff here. And papillary lines. Here is from like elbow to wrist to hand. And when we got there and got closer photographs, and there's a number of them all over the car, they're etched into the surface of the car. They're not painted in. They appeared overnight during one very specific night. They have all the dates and everything else. And the story, this is not the people he meets with. This is the hand of somebody else because Billy doesn't have a left hand. These, another race that the Play Iron work with who took over the night watch monitoring that the extraterrestrials do. And because they were a little bit capricious, they came down. And because their skin chemistry is different than ours as well, it's kind of acidic to our uh, you know, chemistry and, and, and down here, they decided to have a little fun and they put their hands on the, the stepson's car and then they put the from elbow to wrist on it and they said, you know, have a nice day and they, you know, left on that. Now these handprints also were on at least one other, perhaps two other cars, which were as recently viewable as maybe last year or the year before. Now, I'll go that Linda Moulton Howe, who I'm sure you've heard of, who's all worried about uh, aliens abducting people and cattle, all of which is secret military when it does occur. She asked if she could bring scientists over to analyze this. And Billy said, yes, of course you can. Just don't rip the cars up. You know, here you do whatever you need to, but don't. She never came because this is real evidence. It's not anecdotal. What are you going to do when you examine microscopically and you find out that papillary lines are etched into the finish of an automobile and they've been there? for four years through, throughout the seasons and nobody could duplicate it? Oh gosh, that's a little too much of a puzzle. So we now come to Marcel Vogel and the metal samples. And you know, here it is about Marcel Vogel. You can read about him. He was a research guy. This guy was a genius. He was, at the age of 10, he synthesized the chemicals that uh, create bioluminescence in fireflies. While most of us were batting something around against the wall, a ball or our heads or each other or whatever, he's in there, he's duplicating this sophisticated chemistry. And when he was presented with some metal alloy samples, he was using the best kind of equipment available at the time. And I didn't even mention that a lot of the analysis done on Meyer's photos, I didn't even show it to you. It was done contemporaneously to the presentation of the photos, meaning between 78 and let's say 81, with the state of the art technology available at that time. Now, when we talk about the previous you know, analyses, those are done with state of the art technology of today. How's he, how's he hoaxing it? Don't you think you know, we'd, we would recognize the models or anything like that? No, there were no models. They've never, never come up as models. There were models made at MGM that were brought over to Switzerland, photographed in the same places by the uh, lead investigator and his team. And then all those were computer analyzed and compared to Myers. Every time the computer would show 
you know, the, the fake one, the density of it didn't have thermography, you know, effects going on around it. There was no hazing. It goes on and on. And I'm not calling any, I'm not giving anybody a hard time here. I just want people to know that this most neglected case that you didn't even know about, right, which has been going on actually publicly, if you will, from since 1964 in India, 75 in Switzerland and on, nobody's ever heard of it. And yet everybody and their brothers out there yammering about total BS that they cannot prove. And it gets more intense than that if I seem not intense enough about it. Because I've really had so many people who, who just suck the oxygen out of the, you know, the room on UFOs. There's a reason for this, and we're going to get to it. Now, Vogel says here, each pure element was bonded to each of the others, yet somehow retained its own identity. Billy Myers going to bond every element in the periodic table to each other without making a big bushed up mess? And thulium and rhenium are in there as well? And Marcel Vogel's talking about it only existing in minute amounts. It's expensive, blah, blah, He talks about he goes to 1600X and a new world appears in the specimen. Structures within structures, very unusual. Metal, but at the same time, it is crystal. With any technology that I know of, we could not achieve it on this planet. And you know what? Nobody's come forward to this day to do it. Oh, there's people that tell you, oh, it's not real. It was really just lead. And no, Marcel Vogel wasn't BSing people. There's a video of his analysis for what it's worth. He's using all his technology. And he, as a scientist, thought it was not right for people to just try to discredit it. Here are some of his, you know, uh, patents. I got a question. Yes. Are you, are you saying that that was Marcel Vogel's analysis of the hood of the car? No, it was Marcel uh, Vogel's analysis of metal samples that were given to Meyer by the play aren't allegedly, but they were certainly then given by Meyer to the investigators. So he had actual samples of metal that he was told represented different stages of the manufacturing of the seven stages of manufacturing for the craft. Nobody ever went and took up Meyer's offer to analyze the, you know, the hood of the car. Okay. He, Okay, yeah. and so what's the race you're saying? You're saying it's, a, it's an extraterrestrial race called the Playarn? The people that Meyer is in contact with uh, began to be known as the Pleiadians in 1975 when Meyer was instructed to use that name. It's a false name. It's a screen name. And Meyer even asked right then and there, why should I use that name? You're the Playarn people. That's what you call yourself. Why would I call you Pleiadian? And he said, because in the time to come from here on, as soon as your material starts to gain the viewership and people become aware of it, you're going to find that all sorts of people are suddenly channeling Pleiadians. They're in contact with Pleiadians. They're meeting with Pleiadians. They're dating Pleiadians. They're having Pleiadians babies. And there's no such thing as Pleiadians. So those people will self-identify as liars and frauds and you can dismiss them right away. They will be charlatans like the Barbara Marks Hubbard and the Barbara Hand Clow and the Yanni King and the this one and that one that are talking about Pleiadians. There are no Pleiadians because there's no life in the Pleiades. These people claim, according to the information in the case, they come from a star system in the direction of but 80 light years beyond the Pleiades, 500 light years from Earth. There is that connection that has given that link to the Pleiades throughout our history 
and it's been you know left to be muddied about. But there's no Pleiadians. So anybody wants to prove different, all they have to do is bring forward some proof. Here, what we're looking at right now, Matt, in this, I just put up some of, some of Marcel Vogel's patents so people would understand this isn't some new age bozo who says he can tell what a substance is by looking at it at 500 feet or whatever. This guy put it through all of the analysis and he's a, was in a, he did pioneering work in crystals too on top of that, the transference of energy through crystals and all. So all of the conventional skeptics attacked him for it. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, of everything you've presented so far, um, just the fact that Marcel Vogel was involved in this is the most uh, credible piece of information for me because I actually met a person uh, and know a person um, that mentored with him. His name is Walbert Pinto, and he's one of the few people in the world that can actually recreate a Vogel crystal right now. And he's working on some advanced water technology. And I've been connected with him for quite some time, uh, helping out how, how I can. But uh, he's a genius. And he told me some stories about working with Vogel, the Vogel crystal, some of his research. So Marcel Vogel, I think had 84 patents for IBM alone or something ridiculous. And he is yeah. a, a incredibly um, incredibly credible. And I just want to ask a question that was like, um, one that I maybe you'll, you'll uh, touch on later, but um, how was Billy Meyer connecting with the play on or these, like, was he connecting like in person, they were having meetings at a coffee shop or how did that look? <laughs> that would have been nice. Here's what, uh, again, let's do the, according to the information in the case for everybody's benefit. He's claimed that when he was five years old, his father and he see a huge silver disc fly over rural Switzerland where they live, nice little area. His father doesn't know what it is. Billy's wondering. His father thinks maybe it's a secret weapon from Hitler. Okay. It's shortly thereafter that when Meyer is out playing outside, he hears a voice speaking to him, a more mature, you know, mature man speaking to him in his head. And he's kind of going, what's that? You know, it is then subsequent to that that he's out again playing and he feels compelled to go into the forest deeper. And in a clearing, there is a craft sitting on struts three struts, a pear-shaped kind of a craft with an elderly-looking man in an outfit that looks like a deep-sea diver suit without a helmet. And he, he says in telling the story about it, and it's in this film, I think also in, in The Silent Revolution of Truth, he says, you know, the man uh, had a very benevolent feeling to him. I had no fear. I walked up to him, and that we started to speak. And that began his 11 years of mentorship and being tutored by this man on board the craft and there sitting, you know, out in, the, in, in nature at different times. And the man, uh, man took him to the craft to see things like the, our moon. And Billy described some things that we only discovered about the moon decades later. This is where it starts to get mind-boggling. And there's a thing that happened yesterday that I'll tell you about after this that's very mind-boggling. Um, so first he gets the voice in his head. Now, he also, I don't know if I put in any of these subsequent, oh, okay, well, we'll get back to that. Uh, there may be some photos in here, I'm not sure I put. There was a parish priest, and young Meyer, five, six years of age, goes to talk to the parish priest because he thinks maybe he's a little nuts. And the parish priest had been telepathically contacted by Svath, this man, and the priest was also someone of a kind of evolved consciousness who could handle that, and he was told that young Meyer will come to you. He will be concerned and 
if you would be so kind as to let him know that there's no harm that will come to him here. We are benevolent people and he has a task to perform in his life should he choose to do it and we will start our tutoring it, all that stuff. So young Meyer then is assured, reassured by uh, Father Zimmerman that no, you're not going crazy, this is okay. This is not the work of the devil, you know, 1942, whatever, Switzerland. Um, just, you know, feel comfortable, come back to me if you have questions. So that begins the 11 years. So Meyer is taught as a young boy how telepathy works. Now, this is not something you can teach to the, most anybody, but we're told here because of the ancient origin of Meyer's spirit and the role his previous personalities have played here and on other worlds as a prophet con contact person for a more advanced race. He was able to be taught rather intensively. His thinking capacity was through technology as well boosted up so that by the time he's seven, not only does he have some telepathic capabilities, including being able to eventually recognize millions of telepathically transmitted symbol images, not words, but symbols that conveyed either words or concepts, which he would later learn to translate into German while he received them telepathically at 100 words per minute with one hand on a typewriter. We have films of that coming back to it. So he, in that tutoring period, learns te telepathy, and by the time he's seven, his thinking capacity is that of the average 35-year-old educated human being. This, of course, produces problems for him in school and all. He ends up being a scapegoat. He's, he's beaten up. Also, this is not like all fun and games. And, oh, gee, I'm a UFO contactee, and everything's great in my life, and they meet with me because I'm so advanced that, well, uh, the president hasn't contacted me or the vice president or the senators, judges, congresspeople, governors, senators, mayors of the city. Even the dog catcher in my local town hasn't contacted me for anything of importance. But I'm so important, I'm being contacted by extraterrestrials and I can't prove it. That's the usual thing that I don't want to hear any more of because these types of things have so corrupted people's ability to even know about this and what it means to our survival, that all these people should be ashamed of themselves for their outright lies. And if any of them can actually prove what they're saying, welcome aboard. But in 40 years, I haven't met them yet. So here is something where the sound recordings of the beam ships on four different occasions are made outside with up to 17 people standing around while Meyer's got his little cassette recorder and people four kilometers away coming because the sounds are so loud. We talked about Excalibur Studios in here where one of the analyses were done and Nils Ragnarud. Well, as a, as a musician, I was in Excalibur Studios in Studio City in, in the 80s. I didn't know about this. And Nils Ragnarud is a sound recording engineer who I've met and talked to. He was one of the people. Four separate analyses on the sounds. They could not be duplicated in the studios. There were 24 audible interfacing frequencies with overtones for eight more, and they're creating these coherent patterns, and the guy's outside with an Iowa tape recorder? Okay, so let's go forward here. The UFO case is real. Um, what you're looking at here, I'm gonna see if I can jump to what this is about. Okay, the article here is an article that we published 
a year and change ago, written by a man named Joe Tisk. Here's the, the story on this. Bear with me if you need to shut me down or just let me know. A year before that, I get a phone call on Saturday morning, 8.30 in the morning. My name is Joe. I'm an investigator. Is this, you know, yeah, I'm Michael. You do this Billy Meyer UFO case? Yes. Are you willing to talk about it? Yes. I think it could be a hoax. You're still willing to talk about it? Yes. Okay. Three months back and forth with this crusty kind of confrontational guy. And I'm loving it because this guy's in my face. And he, he's, not, he's clearly not a UFO guy. He's clearly not a new ager. But he doesn't tell me who he is. He disappears for five months in August or so of, I think it's August or September of 2017. Yeah. He shows up again. Hey, this is Joe. You still want to talk to you? Yeah, Joe. He says, okay, I'm going to tell you who I am. And I'm going to tell you about your Billy Meyer UFO kid, real Eastern seaboard guy, right? So Joe Tisk was the top investigator for the United States Office, Air Force Office of Special Investigation for those six years. He said to me when he told me that, he said, don't take my word for it, check your email. All those documents were there. He personally vetted hundreds of cases, and none of them are UFOs. They're military, they're government people, people who could end up with their fingers on the nuclear trigger, they're spies, they're whatever. He's supervising hundreds of cases. He approached this case as a skeptic. He analyzed and examined the 64 evidence. He concluded, he says to me after that, your Billy Meyer case is 100% ironclad authentic. I'll take on any skeptics on your behalf, which he did. He demolished a guy named Kevin Randall and a couple of others who were foolish enough to try to give him a hard time. He corroborated Paul Bolcheng for UN history. He watched every video he could find on YouTube of Meyer. And he says, Meyer is the single most honest person he's ever met. He said, look, this article right here, this reporter is telling you with no ax to grind that he's got this vagabond in there with 80 UFO photos in the middle of India in 1964. He says, as a military investigator, I ask myself one question to start with. Where did this guy get 80 UFO photos? Didn't get them from UFOs or us in India. There's no such thing. Where did he get them? Where did this photograph with this cross in the sky? If you cannot answer that if you cannot show me where billy meyer and this is where his article is where billy meyer gets those photographs you're done he says i'll give you and then he goes through the whole there's like three five pages whatever he says look you you have to go through standard procedure for investigation forensic procedures means motive and opportunity here's an example that people can understand there's a murder reported. There's a guy lying on the ground. He's been shot. There's a gun. There's a wallet with a license in it. And there's an eyewitness. And they all say, oh, gee, we know that this guy owned that gun. That's his wallet. And, you know, and I, I saw that guy. He was here. He says, that's great, except for one thing. There's a video of that guy at a wedding a thousand miles away at that time. That means that all of your skeptical stuff, even your eyewitness testimony is superseded by one piece of absolutely ironclad evidence to the contrary. Billy Myers got 80 UFO photos. They're reported on. You still have almost a dozen of them left. And not one of the idiots that have been giving this case a hard time for decades can answer, where did he get those photos?
How did he hoax them? Your case is authentic. I'm telling you that as the top military investigator for six years for the United States Air Force Office Special Investigation, and I will take on any skeptic on your behalf. Here it is, there it is. Now, as for the rest of the stuff in the case, says, I don't know, there's stuff in there I can't wrap my head around, but this man is me. These are not aliens from Mexico. They're not from here. This is not our craft. Thank you very much. As we said in the beginning, extraterrestrials, evidence, confirmed contact, that's the most important, most mind-boggling story or development possible in human history up to this point. The reason for the Meyer contacts, as we say here, this is my little PowerPoint thing, it isn't for us to chase lights in the sky. It's not so that I or anybody can have a career as a UFO expert. George Norrie says, I'm the world's leading authority in UFOs. That's true with the exception of Billy Meyer and a few people in Switzerland who probably know more about this than that. But yeah, of anybody lecturing, why? Well, I've been, I could give you more information about my personal experience, but let's go to this. The reason is so that we'll discover the truth, which is just unbearably harsh for most human beings on earth because we want to be distracted and entertained. We want to be lied to, such as is consistent with every bit of politics and religion and entertainment, it's all entertainment. So who provided all of this evidence? Much more, this guy. You may not be able to hear it, but let's My see. name is Edward Albert Meyer. My name is Edward Albert Meyer, but all around the world, I am simply called Billy. I received the name in Tehran when I was on the road and since then, this name has remained with me. I'd say, in and of itself, my childhood was very good and very pleasant for me. I learned very much on the one hand because of my parents, and on the other hand because of an extraterrestrial called Sfat, whom I got to know in 1942. How old were you then? I was five years old. That was, at the end of that, there was a, just a drawing of Sfath. We don't have any photographs of those people. Um, this is a very famous photograph, by the way. It's simple, but it's powerful because this craft is actually, we have a branch here that is in front of it. It's not it's very discernible here. This is the sunlight shot. And when analyzed, it was determined that this tree is about 40 feet tall and the craft about 23 feet in diameter. And that's consistent with the earliest analyses that were done showing the thermography, the haze effect around the edges at the distance, a large object next to a known large object, a known large object. Let's look at that object again. So we'll go through this a little bit so people can see. There is somebody holding that photograph and Billy Meyer is with them and there is that tree in full bloom. It's not a model tree, it's not a miniature. We have Billy Meyer with his one arm on the right, and we've got the Japanese film director from Nippon TV, who was one of the people who's analyzed Meyer's films and found no manipulation, nothing was altered. So they slowly walk up the hill towards the tree. I'm gonna let this run a little bit and talk about it because Billy's pointing out things about where this happened and what happened over there and blah, blah, blah. 
but they continue to walk. And as they continue to walk, we notice they get smaller in comparison to that tree. That ain't no miniature tree. And now we see it there. The large tree, the smaller tree to the left. Now they're in full bloom. And the tree peeking up over the hillside to the right, which is a tall tree on the other side of the hill. And we zoom in. That's the tree, all right. There it is. And Billy and, and this guy, that tree's about 40 or more feet high. There it is, the craft next to it, the sunlight linting off of it. Again, this isn't even that important when we get to the payoff stuff, the meat of the matter. But there it is. Now, let me go back here. Again, I state this clearly, and I'm willing, able, happy to find, to be presented with any evidence that any other human being on Earth is in any actual kind of contact with any extraterrestrial, interdimensional, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So far, nothing but unsubstantiated claims. Now, let's just say in all fairness, there are things that happen to people. You and I have both seen things. We can try and figure out what they are. We've had experiences. I've had experiences that are pretty unusual, blah, blah, but they're subjective. They're anecdotal. We cannot bring forward anything of any external objective value from it. I had a voice pop in my head in 1972, describe three healing modalities that I would experience in my lifetime. Two of them came to be the third one, was full-blown virtual holographic reality without glasses and from which I created in 1985 a, a technique of working with people with video called Future Self. And I subsequently, a little more than a year ago, actually put that whole program out in a book on Amazon so people can use do it to themselves using their cell phones, their tablets, or anything else. It's a completely self-enclosed loop of self-responsibility where people interact with themselves on their cell phones or tablets instead of everything coming at them from the outside. And I've, I've done a lot of that stuff. Believe that alone, it's not the focus of this. Here's some more bad news for my new age friends. No such thing, Ascension 5D. There's nothing the matter with matter and nobody is coming to save us from all of the crap that we for millennia have done and brought upon our poor selves. So why? Do we tolerate this stuff uncritically? Why until literally just a day or so ago have they absolutely prevented me from making presentations and confronting it? Like all these people here, not a one of whom has one single piece of verifiably extraterrestrial evidence and they suck up the bandwidth with all their tall tales and outright lies and deception disinformation and delusion, and they we don't even know what's in this Meyer case yet. What am I talking about? What are they screwing up? Well, we'll get to it. Now, why am I the leading authority? I represent the only authentic case and contactee. Come on, bring somebody else forward. I've done 40 years of actual research and investigation, 19 trips to Switzerland. I knew and interviewed the original investigators, Meyer and Eyewitnesses, I witnessed 14 people who were witness to the 23 attempts on his life. I've been within 20 feet of a small monitoring craft. They forwarded to me through Billy Meyer specific, prophetically accurate information that prevented 
a trap that would have entrapped me and been very bad for them. Time and date stamped. They sent it and they said, based on this information, we've looked into this for you. We recommend you don't do that, but you're free to do what you want. I took their recommendation and what they had predicted would happen, happened, but without the, 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 the terrible effects to me or anybody else. So about UFOs, yeah, what are you going to do with it? We've just been through something that people can vet for themselves. And if they do it, if they go through all the exam, all the material, if they read Joe Tisk, all they have to do is follow his protocol. Can you show me where we got these photos in 1964, let alone 75? No. Okay, well, you're done. Now that we've done that and we've gotten past the UFOs, forget about MUFON. They told Meyer in 53, and that's 15, 16 years before MUFON existed, that it would become his biggest enemy. It has, I've tried to deal with them for years because they hide, they suppress, they attack. I was actually gonna go present to a MUFON group in Kansas City. They invited me and then they uninvited me to make sure this didn't get presented. And indeed, Myers had 23 attempts in his life. And here's the kicker. There is, as you look at that, there is a man who lives in Arizona who's the retired vice president director of operations for Orbital Flight Systems, which is the competitor to Musk. His friend, who's a former federal agent, still works at Orbital. And they tried to recruit him at MUFON. And what the guy learned by asking the guy was that most of MUFON's public information was intentionally bogus or redacted. The U.S. State Department and the CIA basically controlled this activity. So all the good people who are running around chasing lights in the sky for MUFON, what they're really doing when they can get any photos or footage and it's being sent to MUFON, it's being used by the manufacturers of the secret military craft to determine the effects, what is shown, where are they effective in screening, whatever. MUFON people have, if they're lucky in their entirety of their 50 years of existence or 60 years, maybe somebody took a photograph of an actual extraterrestrial object, but the rest of it, good luck. Forget about the aliens. There's no reptilians on Earth. The greys? No, the greys were only actually the androids that did exist, were recovered, some of them at the crash, like at Roswell, there were a number of crashes. Aliens had robotic android beings that operate on these research missions. And so they're not perfect. Sometimes their craft get taken down or whatever. Arcturans, Andromedans, Nordics, Blue Avians. Thank you, Corey Good, for that bit of BS. Tall Whites, whatever. It's a product of disinformation from secret military, as it says here. It's very different from the actual real negative ETs that had been on the planet for thousands of years and were taken off in 1978 by the Pleiaran. So we're told, I can't prove it, but it's all detailed in the case if you want something interesting. Because you see, these extraterrestrials had, they had a base underneath the Great Pyramid. Now, if anybody remembers Edgar Cayce, we remember the case, he said, there's a spaceship under the Great Pyramid and there's these chambers under the Sphinx and the rest of it. Well, underneath the, the pyramids at Giza, these ETs who were like a splinter group from the core origin group that were the Playaren, 
they were working down there for thousands of years. They even had some in their, uh, let's say, their whole coterie there that represented themselves as the gods of our religions. One of the members of that group the, that is known as, as the Bafath by McLaren was known as Jehovah. Oh, goodness gracious, our loving God of mercy and all the rest. No, the terroristic madman. Now, when I first started to read this stuff, I thought, oh, my gosh, these play armed people. Pleiadians is what they were called at the time I found this stuff. Maybe they're Nazis from outer space. They're talking about how evil Jehovah was and how, you know, the real bad history from the Old Testament. It isn't what we think. So I cracked open the Old Testament. I started reading this stuff and I'm going, oh my gosh, this guy's a terrorist from outer space, genocidal maniac. How did I, you know, this provoked a lot of shifts in my consciousness because I was being confronted with stuff that was completely different. It, it was boggling me about, well, the truth is often very harsh. And you, yes. Um, well, first of all, this is a lot of very... Uh, heavy information, uh, very in interesting, powerful perspectives. We'll say they're very strong perspectives. Um, some, some of what you're saying, um, I have reference to, so I want to share that some of it. Um, I feel like I would, you know, have a different perspective on not completely, but mostly like in the, in the area you're going, I'm mostly with you. Um, but particularly when you're talking about, um, the race under Egypt, I had, uh, uh, the race under the pyramid. I had a podcast with uh, Jeffrey Dougherty, and he's a former evangelist. And uh, he basically had an awakening within the church. He started researching everything. He has over a hundred thousand Bible hours. And uh, and on the podcast, he came in. He's he's translating the Bible from the Greek, not even English, from Greek, the Old Testament. And he's like, basically, the Bible is just. Uh, UFO ET stories the whole way through. He's like, you can read it as like this uh, magical, holy, mystical being, or from this perspective, it's pretty obvious. It's like a craft or a technology or, or something like that. And he, when I asked him, I was like, okay, like what the heck is going on? He's like, well, what it says is uh, there's going to be a, um, a project blue beam type of event where Jesus will come down on a spacecraft and um, it'll be, you know, he'll have the second coming or whatever. And I was like, bro, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Like, where did you hear that? He's like, I didn't hear it, Matt. I've, I'm translating it from the Greek text. I was like, what? How do you translate from the Greek text a friggin' Project Blue Beam hologram? <laughs> like, that is absurd, dude. And a uh, very interesting uh, perspective in that. So I just wanted to share that. And then also the, the question that I had is, you know, now you're going into, okay, this is the theory or this is, what, what they're saying, who, where is that information coming from? Where are you getting that? Where do you read that? Where does that come from? Let me go back to one thing you were just talking about, because when, when I was just talking about that group under the Great Pyramid, the information in this case about them tells that what they were engineering was a fake second coming. And Meyer in 1953 or so was taken, he's about 16 years of age, he's taken by Ascot down beneath into that place underneath the Great Pyramid. When you read it, she explains that they will not be visible because of the device she gave to him that she has will put them audiovisually or at least visually out of phase so that they cannot be seen, but they still have to be fairly careful because there are robotic uh, guards down there and all. And then the whole thing 
is the contact, what he's seeing they're talking about is transcribed, it's available. And what happens is they get down there and he sees this huge craft and all this, and then his attention is drawn to like a, a little, like a staging area, and he says, well, over there, it, that looks like the, the cross of the crucifixion and the artifacts and everything, they go over it. She says, well, what you have here is a cross of the crucifixion, the spear of destiny, the crown of thorns, bloody, you know, spikes, all. but these are all not from the original crucifixion. All of those artifacts are long since dissolved and gone. These were remanufactured by this group, this Giza group, so they will be used in this fake second coming. They have chosen an American corn merchant named Reinhold Schmidt so that he will believe that he is in contact with the extraterrestrials and he is the embodiment of the second coming. They use on him something that's called real vision, which is a form of holographic mind control whereby he will suddenly think he's on a spacecraft with people and all the rest. It, he is merely sitting somewhere in an altered state that he's has been projected on. This is 1953, they're telling this kid. And they said, uh, you know, she says to him, so the, the agenda here will be to use this man and the Giza intelligence, these people, the Bafath, as they call themselves, will use that to try to bring everybody under the control of a one world religion because for every religion on earth, they have their hand in it in some way or another. And we could fast forward to 1978 when they're removed from the planet, they don't get to pull that thing off. And it's told to Meyer at that time, even though this group has now been removed from the planet, their negative influence is going to linger for about 200 years because they set in motion so much stuff with mind control, with religious leaders and, and uh, even political leaders and all this stuff. It's a very deep program and it's going to take time to get through. And what I'll add to it is your friend who's translating, let's say, the New Testament from the Greek, the original teaching of Emmanuel was claimed to be published by Meyer. It's known as the Talmud Emmanuel. What it's based on is a very interesting thing, which is that in about 1963 or so, Meyer and a former Greek Orthodox priest are led telepathically by the Pleiarn on the outskirts of old Jerusalem to a, what looks like a hillside or a burn. And there is a small hole down at the base of it, like a entering, you know, small hole. And he knows that he's meant to dig that out. They dig it out and they enter with their flashlights and they find themselves in a very, very old tomb with stones on the floor. Meyer knows from what has been told to him previously that when he has a certain experience with this, he's to unearth these stones because there'll be things there for him to find. And indeed, they find resin-encrusted, animal-skin-wrapped scrolls, actually like parchments, that are written in Aramaic and that are, you know, about Yathik or whatever, and some other artifacts, a couple little like clay figurines and a piece of gypsum. Okay. The scrolls Meyer entrusts to Isa Rashid because, oh, coincidentally, Isa Rashid, who's of Middle Eastern origin, also reads and writes Aramaic, and he speaks, reads, and writes German, making a translation process possible. For about four years, he works on trying to translate the scrolls from the Aramaic into German, 
and finally sends Meyer this chunk, which represents about a third or so of this, the scrolls. He says to Meyer, I have to leave now where we live. Some powerful religious people in this area found out that I have something and we are not safe here now. I'm taking my family. I don't know if I'll be able to talk to you again. Meyer starts to looking at the, the German and he works to try to get some of the words that are, he knows mean something a little different to get it clear in German. That's all. He's not trying to change anything. Just tidy the German up. He's going to publish that. In the meantime, Issa Rashid and his family move into a refugee village in Lebanon and they take refuge. They take the scrolls and they put them, hide them into the walls of one of the buildings there. Within about a week, the Israelis come and destroy that particular village out of all the villages, basically level it pretty much. And Issa Rashid and his family and some other people escape with their lives, but the scrolls are lost. Ultimately, he and his family flee into Iraq, and Meyer hears about four years later from someone else that Issa Rashid and his family had been machine gunned to death, allegedly by the Mossad, in Baghdad. Meyer has published the first German translation of the Talmud of Manuel. It attracts the attention of a professor who is a professor of meteorology and comparative religion at the universe, Oregon State University, a man named James Deardorff. Deardorff hears about it and says, aha, another Bible hoax, let me add it. He goes into about a year's worth of research into it and then publishes his own book called Celestial Teachings. And his conclusions are, and his website is still up, even though he's passed away, and I knew him, he was a great, great guy. His conclusions are this. The Talmud of Manuel, in resolving over 350 inconsistencies in the book of Matthew, over 125 of which weren't even discussed prior to the discovery of these scrolls, resolves the difficulties between the book of Matthew and itself, meaning that the Talmud of Manuel is the original writing from which the book of Matthew was derived and not the other way around. And then Deardorff, he's the guy that gets the photographs of a lot of the UFO with the trees to the forestry experts up at OSU. And he starts digging into the UFO evidence and all the rest of this. So bottom line, finally, there is a final translation that is out of the Talmud Emmanuel, which represents the true unadulterated teaching that segment of it that was preserved of the real human being known in Manuel. And we learn, among other things, there were 17 female disciples. They were all crossed out of the Bible. You know, Emmanuel didn't raise anybody from the dead. He worked with healing people through salves and bombs. He was taught well by his mentors in the Himalayas about herbalism and the Pleiaran and others who taught him also about consciousness so that he could understand people who came to him as you know afflicted and were putting their faith in him to heal them he would work to understand and penetrate their understanding and through a form of suggestion or hypnosis get them to trigger their own healing abilities he didn't raise anybody from the dead because that can't be done but he worked with people who could be healed not everybody was healable if you will, either through herbs and all the many were, and through the auto-suggestion 
those people who did recover from things did so because they trusted him and, and thereby they activated their own healing abilities. We're not here to heal other people. We're here to heal ourselves and through that demonstration of utilizing the might of our own thoughts and our consciousness, we then can extend to people understanding and caring therapies that are quite legitimate to utilize. It doesn't mean we don't go to a doctor or don't get a massage or don't go to a chiropractor or don't go to an herbalist. We're just not going to healers who are taking the responsibility for our wellness. So this is a little offshoot here, but the Talmud is rather amazing. It gives the whole, yeah. Well, first of all, holy mother effing smokes. Um, <laughs> that's, that's a lot. And I wanted to add on to that, though, because it, it, is, it does correlate something that I heard um, when I was studying with David Lonebear last summer. Um, he had me, you know, talk about the Council of Nicaea and um, talked about, he said, you know, in the, his history, the Mi'kmaq history is 20,000 years old. Uh, same with the Zuni history, 20,000 years old, which is way older than any religion on the planet. And, um, and uh, we also don't know very much about it. I also studying with the Mayan elder, Carlos Barrios, 20,000 years. Um, and so, you know, they have interesting information or at least uh, points of view that are different. And uh, it's just looking at different sides of a coin, different sides of history, because uh, we know that history is recorded by the winners. We know sure. that if uh, you know, you're in 1950s and you're in the deep South and you're a super racist, well, then you're probably going to teach your kid to be a racist. If you live somewhere else in uh, a different part of the world where, uh, you know, in Africa, you're probably not racist towards other black people because that's who's around and you're going to grow up differently. So culturally, through education and history and books, we are going to uh, learn something. And religion is some of those oldest lessons. So um, this, you know, people who are religious will probably be uh, dousing this broadcast with fire and <laughs> sending me some stuff in the mail. However, I just wanted to um, share that, um, you know, what he, what he said that his point of view at that time was that when the Council of Nicaea were bringing together the Bible, and this was to um, basically consolidate religions in Rome at the time, and so how they could rule different uh, kingdoms and areas that had different belief systems. And you can, you can Google this and find out on your own. It's not very hard. Um, but he said they, they were making a decision to make uh, Jesus, who existed, or Emmanuel in this case, if that's what you're suggesting, who was a, a, a man and possibly had education, um, oh yeah, that's nice. Um, make him supernatural or make him a regular person. And they chose supernatural because it was an easier way, um, to, to control people because it was like this God form is more frightening and more, uh, uh, the story is much more compelling. And so if indeed, um, it was an educated person and then bring an ETs to the mix, asking or, or sharing information, being very well educated, um, I was watching Star Trek the other day, the new one, and and I had heard about this before, but it was it was said something along the lines that like you know, if you have a technology that's so far so far farther advanced than what they're used to, there it's going to be indistinguishable between uh, to magic or to gods. They'll perceive you as gods. Um, so those are interesting points of view that I just wanted to um, throw in there in the mix of some of my research that it correlates a little bit with what you're saying. And I find uh, that I've heard about the, the um, 
the Talmud before, um, but not like this. So I'm really curious about um, what it's set, what what's in there. It's it's an amazing book. You know, I want to jump back for a minute. We can talk more about it. Um, here's the thing: my own digestion of things pertaining to indigenous cultures. Now, first of all, there is a lot of information in the Meyer case too about uh, the extraterrestrials who are based in Egypt. There was a a good contingent, if you will, who were trying to diminish the control of this negative group that was here and that had not, wasn't only based in Egypt, but had in South and Central America. They, uh, there was a Quetzal, I'm trying to get this straight to make sure, Quetzalcoatl, I believe, was one of a, the members of an extraterrestrial group who came to South America to try to get the gods of that time, the negative ETs, to stop sacrificing people and stop doing all that bloody stuff. Because this has been, this has existed in many religions and all, wherever these ETs were evolved, you get blood sacrifice and they're just playing with people as pawns. And okay, with the indigenous native uh, cultures that go back a long time, a lot of them, of course, in many ways, in order for them to even survive, apart from any superstitions, they had to have an attunement to life in a certain way. They had to have an understanding of the rhythm of life and the nature of it. They also anthropomorphize things. So, for instance, in the Four Corners area, which is around where I live, the Hopi have the Hopi prophecies and everything, right? And a lot of their prophecies and their about what's coming are very similar to the Hanak prophecies in this material, the predictions of Jeremiah, the stuff that's coming down. And I asked Billy, and he says, no, that wasn't connected to the play iron. That's just the, separately. The problem for me, and the problem I'd love to solve, with those leaders of the indigenous people who have this innate connection to life, for them to be, become aware of this kind of thing and it's, it could be problematic if people have too much of a hold on to the anthropomorphized spirits and the animal this and the kachina that, which when you reduce it can come down to very explainable things in real life. We all can say, there's a blue star, yes, or there's a phenomenon, there's a light, there's a craft, the whole thing with Ezekiel, you know, seeing the wheel. Okay, we're talking about things that are either natural or technological. and the people who have, uh, like the Hopi up here, many of whom are the keepers of that wisdom of how to survive and what's coming, if they also could view this information and understand that this comes from people who are, they're more technologically advanced, but their consciousness is in alignment. It's not, it doesn't deal with anthropomorphism. They're very logical, they're factual. There's nothing mystical that goes on. The more, and I'll use this word at the risk of insulting anybody who hasn't left here, the more primitive orientation to phenomenon in life gives, you know, a mystical, metaphorical, metaphysical, you know, context where even Meyer said, there's nothing par paranormal. Things either are real and they may be operating according to the laws we don't yet perceive or they're hoaxes, there's nothing, there's no paranormal. And he's written extensively on things about what are called fluidal forces, the cause for sightings of uh, you know, so-called ghosts and apparitions, how certain things work with the unconscious mental, 
this stuff is so deep, it's, it's zillions of years of study because it's basically a scientific approach. It's not a belief-oriented thing. And there's nothing to believe. People are free to reject anything that they find or that I've said, uh, no skin off of mine. If you, you, know, if you wanna take something and say, well, let's look at that objectively. How far can we go? Some things in here we don't have the science for, right? So when we talk about the truth being harsh, you know, I go back and, you know, I, this is a little over the top on what I'm showing you here about my whole issues with all this stuff. Why isn't the truth good enough? When the words and warnings of the true prophets fulfill where you run to, meaning this case has all that stuff that you're going to find even in the legacies of the indigenous people about coming events and more. It's going to, you're going to see things in here where information about Russia and the U.S. and Canada in the 1987 Anak prophecies, they weren't written in 1987. They're over 10,000 years old. The predictions of Jeremiah, same thing. And they've been in the keeping of the Pleiarit. Now, do we need to believe that? No. Well, how could we determine if that's true? Well, one of the things that I did, do we have time for a little anecdotal story on how we know some of this is true? Wherever you want to go. Yeah, sure. Well, the, the, I, I'm definitely down with your, your story. The, the question that I was now curious of where we're going with this is just, so with, with everything that you've looked at and studied, like give, give us your view on what the heck is actually going on here. You know, okay. is it true? Like, cause there is, you know, one of the things that David and Clifford shared with me was that they did share that the UFO alien ET thing has become an industry, as you said at the beginning. And, um, you know, cause I presented David and Clifford with so much information. I was like, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And, uh, having those two together in Sedona, um, listening to them converse was the most mind blowing conversation I've ever heard in my life, including going down the Gaia rabbit hole, everything I could find from everywhere. Um, but they're both, David's a mathematician and scientist and engineer. So is Clifford, very intelligent person. And when you ask Clifford to research or David, they research the crap out of it and they find the evidence and they figure out you know what is true what is not true and they don't really have an agenda you know that i can see it's just they they want to know for himself and um on a side note david's job as a kid actually was to um, research what goes bump in the night so if there was something paranormal or things like that he would have to figure out what was real what was not real and figure it out scientifically and be able to prove it um so that being said you know, what is your view on, on all of this stuff? What's going on on our planet? What is the truth about the ET history of, of what okay. you've learned? How can we clear some cobwebs that maybe we should reconsider? And then, right. you know, for me, I, I think uh, the last thing I'll just kind of share in the rant is that, you know, if I'm researching something and I can kind of, you know, be like, oh, you know what? That was maybe not the most ideal thing. Like, Honestly, I'll probably go back at this podcast and every other podcast I've ever done and be like, man, I don't know a thing. But the nice thing is right now, I'm very comfortable that I have no idea what the heck is going on. Um, but I'm, but I'm, I'm still moving in a direction of, of seeking knowledge and truth. What's happening on the planet? How do we improve this planet? Um, how do I expand my own consciousness, way of being into contentment, joy, service, you know, all that kind of stuff and to, and to grow into a good human being. But I'm also curious of what the heck is what's happening here. Okay. And so we'd love to know that. Let me jump on something you said because it ties into something else, and then I'll come right back to this. In 1981, Billy Meyer is told about an object that is heading towards Earth called, at that time, 
the play, and I illustrate this in comic book form and everything because it's very important. The play Iron call it the red meteor. They say this is going to have two approaches to Earth. If the first one, if it doesn't sm smack you on the first one, it will probably hit the Earth in the second one. Uh, it, that, the date will be April 13th, 2029, or April 13th, 2036. 2036. This is an asteroid, uh, they call it the red meteor. 23 years later, NASA discovers asteroid Apophis. And they calculate there's two flybys. April 13th, 2029, okay. So our, we're on it. Now, NASA said, oh, there's nothing we need to worry about here. And the play have said, there's plenty to worry about if your scientists do not come together globally here in time to deflect it, not blow it up, because it'll rain down on you. You can screw that up. A nuclear explosion down the right way, nudge it, and you're home free. They give Meyer the size of the thing. In the last few years, NASA, which has been poo-pooing it, now changed the size estimate to within 25 meters of what Meyer was told, and now they may join what the Russian and European space agencies are doing after we publish the information, and that is heeding the advice to start to come up with a technology to deflect it. Now, I'll leave that for a moment and say, in order for all of that to go right, it's also necessary to have the absolute correct values of certain things like pi. Meyer was told years ago that we do not have the true value for pi. Just within the last year and a half or so, a mathematician in Idaho ran the calculations. He did it physically. He made a physical model and measured it and he it altered, he brought that information to Meyer, who brought it to player, and they said, that's the correct value for pi. And that information should be going to all these scientists who have to do all this stuff with outer space stuff, et cetera, blah, blah. And there is a team, including the former VP from Orbital, a former NASA aerospace engineer, Harry Lear, the mathematician, and a guy, Christer Svensson in, in Sweden, all working to try to get mathematicians and physicists to duplicate the experiment so that the lights can go on and they can start to utilize the true pi. Therefore, my final statement on that before I answer those sort of stuff is, if you'd be so kind later to connect those two guys in some way, give them my information and, uh, and see if they will in contact, I will put them in contact with the mathematicians. Okay, what's going on on the planet? What's real, what isn't real? Again, here in the Meyer material, we have information going back over 22 million years about the origins of human life just pertaining to Earth and the progenitors 22 million years ago who had genetically manipulated a human race to serve as warriors. This was a long-lived race in the Syrian star system. You know, it's like if I give you the whole thing, we're gonna... Basically, we have in this material, the origins of not only indigenously uh, and naturally arising human life because of the nature of when a planet is ready to support not only the flora and the fauna, but human life forms, how that works. Sometimes human life forms are brought to or come to a planet and then become part of the evolving human life. This planet is so screwed up because of things that happened starting millions of years ago that when you read it for yourself and you think about it, in the document, for instance, in which Meyer in 1995 explains this history 
going back 22 million years. He also goes forward in time and in 1995 is specifically foretelling the development of the AI, the modifications people make to themselves, the implanting of chips, the connecting to robots, the AI, the computer or weapons, and how we are going to pave the way for our own destruction, as Hanok said 10,000 years ago, with these computerized weapons. So wait a minute, what are we talking about here? We're talking about actual histories, and there's pages of it, that go back millions of years, hundreds of thousands of years, a little more manageable, tens of thousands of years, the names of the various gods or ETs that came, their connection to the things that we know of as Atlantis and Lemuria, their connection to our religions, their connection to things that occurred when the poles were also in a different place. Hyperborea, which was formerly the North Pole, was Florida and all, where the pole shift is going now, Whoa, 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 slow it up. What does it really mean? It means this, that we, the people of Earth, have been kept in unknowingness deliberately for the longest time. First, by the various gods who were the ETs who decided to lord it over us and play games with the primitive human beings, in some cases, mate with them, create other races, what have you. But basically, from almost time immemorial, one negative influence after another of religious and or political natures, which are very intertwined, were enforced upon human beings who embraced them without thinking and followed this delusional thing and that delusional thing. And the problem was that while that was pretty bad and religions were formed and tens and hundreds of millions of people have been killed in the names of you know, loving gods of mercy and all that, and saviors who died for our sins before we were born, and, and every other piece of illogical bullshit you can imagine, somebody's there to believe it. And even Buddhism has got things screwed up. We don't reincarnate as pineapples and cantaloupes and dogs and fleas. Human evolution is a very specific thing. It's explained in great detail how reincarnation works. What is the human spirit? How does that differ from what we've come to call the soul, which doesn't exist, which is really the psyche, which is a temporal construct that every human being has, which dissolves after death. There's no soul, soulmate, soul over, over souls, soul destiny. Spirit is the eternal, immortal, ever reincarnating part that has its destiny to remerge with this thing that we're in. This universe is a living conscious, it is the creation of the consciousness of itself, if you will. We are in one of countless billions of universes. This universe right now is 47 trillion years old, not the 14 billion or whatever stuff people. Our scientists are so deliberately stubborn and resistant. And something that just happened over the past couple of days, in effect, or a little more, is there's a little hope here that something can be lubricated. But I'll try and finish a little on this. We are intended to awaken our inner consciousness, the spiritual teaching of this universe itself, the authorship, and as much as the trees and clouds and nature and everything else is authored by the creational force, so is the spiritual teaching, which is a non-religious, belief-free instruction of recommendations and advice to humankind so that it can learn to live in harmony with 
that which created and sustains everything, but not punished for not doing it. It's just that we learn through trial and error. We make mistakes. Punishment, we stub our toes because we're in the dark. No deity is personally interceding or punishing us during our life or after life or anything else. We are learning through our knowledge or ignorance of the laws of creation. The 60 books that Meyer has written, the majority of them are all on the spiritual teaching, on how the might of the thoughts works, the way to live in harmony with things. At every level of human interaction and cooperation and partnership and how to deal with every single aspect of life, what the recommendations are, not that something's done for us and not that it's imposed upon us, but here's how it kind of works, folks. The law of cause and effect, the immutable law of cause and effect. And if you think consciously and you notice what you're thinking and what feelings you give rise to, maybe you'll control your thinking so that your feelings don't go out of control and that you create a micro thought that leads you to take an action that's going to bring you a result that isn't preferred by you and others. So when we reverse engineer all the things in our life, we go back, we see, if we choose to see how we got here from there, a lot of it is just stumbling blindly. We're investing our trust and, and votes and money in so-called leaders and, and governments and, you know, or holy people and masters and gurus. Nobody who knows anything, frankly, no more than we do when we trust ourselves to draw forth from the inner and to read something that will teach us. But then we take the responsibility for testing the teaching to find out if that is really true. Just like, oh, I want to learn how to fix a computer or an automobile or plant, you know, chickpeas. Here's what you do. Here's the instruction. This It's neutral. It simply says this is what is. And if you do these things, you'll get this result. Well, let's see if that's true or not. With the spiritual teaching, not every single little thing in our life are we told what will happen. We're told, if you will, or we're instructed that when we are taking control of our thinking, when we free ourselves from the long imposed dogmas and beliefs and superstitions and rituals of religions, man-made control mechanisms, which is a struggle for most people if they've had religious indoctrination, and we take self-responsibility, 100%, for everything in our lives, that means then we also have to see things as they are, not as we fear they may be, nor as we want them to be. First, what is? And that is the process of self-honesty, too, because we will filter through our hopes and our fears and our beliefs. We have to clear away that fuzz that has been imposed upon us and that we've embraced somehow. When, well, wait a minute. What happened to UFOs? Well, these folks, they went through tens of thousands of years of grief in their own evolution, going nuts because they evolved too far technologically, and then they gained powers, and then they went around and they enslaved people and blew up worlds. And, all. and finally, they had to come to terms with their own evolution and their own being out of harmony with the laws of creation. And so some spiritually evolved teachers were brought to, somehow showed up in their worlds and said, well, let's sit down and start straightening this out because just because you can vaporize a planet doesn't mean you're doing the right thing. And just because, I mean, this is not, we're not the only ones in creation, according to this information. We won't know that for a while. 
we will either believe it or we won't, just like reincarnation. Well, I believe in reincarnation of the human spirit. Well, you don't know, though, do you? No. Well, I don't believe in reincarnation. Well, you don't know, do you? No. So when even things like abortion are affected by this understanding, when we understand and can reason our way to go, oh, okay, so there's a human spirit, and it attaches at the 21st day when the heart is beating. Well, that would make some sense. And these folks are saying, well, yes, we allow abortion in our world, but only up until this point, because, well, not only do we have the technology to know when the spirit enters deep in the brain, and now you have an inspirited fetus, not just an embryo, and we respect that now that's a human life. But before that, we know that that's just a little, you know, it's organic life, to, it's not a human being yet. And if the circumstances suddenly happen that there's some, in our world, we don't have those issues that you do any longer. But if we had an issue, we would allow that abortion up to the 21st day. Okay, well, that means that the folks that say no abortion ever and abortion anytime, they're both wrong. But those that say abortion sometime and abortion not other times, they're both right. So when we know with certainty, scientifically, there is a human spirit. Oh, it attaches at that day. Well, that could resolve stuff, couldn't it? Well, there are some fundamentalist people that still will never accept an abortion, and some happy-go-lucky, uh, you know, leftists or whatever. Everything's okay all the time as long as it feels right. <laughs> so, but we're we're having to evolve out of the age of beliefs into the age of truth and knowledge. So we, we have incumbent upon us now the responsibility to be responsible to think, not worry too much about thinking that you know. Oh, so and so is in touch with extraterrestrials. As if that automatically meant, even if it's true, that they're in touch with something or someone who's benevolent, who's going to benefit them. And it, it just goes too far afield. So let's take responsibility for ourselves. Let's see things as they are. Let's work to control our thinking so that when we see things as they are, we then choose how we will think feel and act moment by moment in life and we get away from all this illusion that there's all this stuff oh is there something threatening us now yeah the environment is already past climate change to climate destruction billy myers the first person i found in the beginning in 51 who wrote about unnatural man-made climate change, global warming, the increased frequency and intensity of uncontrollable storms, earthquakes, volcanic eruptions, etc. His teacher in 1948 tells him in 48, what will happen after 2015 and 2017, you will start to see proliferation of earthquakes in central Italy. They will occur before the mega eruptions of five major volcanoes in Italy, which will change the face of countries. They will probably occur right before the Eiffel fields in northern Germany erupts and makes northern Europe uninhabitable. And then, of course, yes, indeed, the unstoppable eruption of the Yellowstone in North America. These things will happen with certainty, as will the eruption of Cumbre Vieja in the Canary Islands and the Cascadian subduction fault earthquake that leads to the tsunami. The earthquake will run for nine straight minutes at five point, uh, no, five straight minutes at 9.0, and then a the massive tsunami comes in, and then both those things happen again. And this, Meyer published that 
in 2005. That's when I put it on my website. Three years later, Oregon State University publishes, we anticipate a 9.0 earthquake running for about five minutes and a tsunami coming after. Oh, really? Do you really? So there's so much, you know, if we do a separate thing on the prophecies and predictions and what's been corroborated, we can go into that deeper. A bottom line, there's one thing I want to share, but beforehand, I would encapsulate this and say, look, we need to see things as they are, create healthy, interdependent, cooperative relationships with good people who are like-minded. They don't have to be people that follow the Meyer case or this particular teacher or that. If their consciousness is such that they recognize this is the time to start, let's get on with cooperation and learning how to grow and preserve food, all this common sense stuff, and follow these events that suddenly take place in the world, you'll know certain events. One of the things, I will always be posting corroborations. So here's the last little story I wanted to tell. In the first week of March, March 4th, I saw there was an article online in Arizona at the USGS, uh, that's the one that's based up here, a scientist there involved with the Mars mission and the rover and all of this, and they, they're finding new information. And I thought, hey, I think I'm gonna go up there and bring him information that Meyer verifiably published about Mars starting in 1986. I think he'll find this interesting. And, and the photo book with all Mars. Okay, shorten the story. I go up there, no appointment. I ask to see him, the guy comes out. I'm there with my girlfriend. And it's a very nice guy, and I said, I'd like to give you this information and tell you a few things, and I could show you these photos. Well, he glazes over about UFO photos, and he gives me a, one of the usual lines. Well, you know, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. I said to him, to the scientist, I said, mm, no, they don't. However, we have extraordinary evidence, but any evidence could be viewed extraordinary, such as Galileo 500 years ago. And all that's required when there's claims about, and evidence is that you look at it as a scientist. Don't decide it's extraordinary. Just test it. Scientific method. Joe Tisk. Here. Is it? This is real? This isn't real. Okay. So I then wait a couple of days and I said, did you get a chance to look at the Mars info? Well, you know, the guy could be a lucky guesser about things. But, you know, I've never, one of the things that I handed him was information from Meyer, 1986 or 7, about lightning on Mars. He's, so he says in there, well, I've never heard of any lightning on Mars, Mr. Mars scientist. So it took me about 12 seconds to find it online that in 2009, NASA gets photos of lightning on Mars. The problem is, I give him the info, he, he jumps to the conclusion. So then, just a day or two ago, a guy sends me a link to information about Mars, new discoveries about the rivers on Mars. Without going into everything, that article talks about really how massive, how large, how much water is there and all that. So what I do is I look at what I sent and what I handed to my friend there. In that information, March 4th is the information about the real massive amounts of water, the huge rivers, all the stuff that was just newly discovered five days ago. So that scientist received, before it was discovered, the very information that should tell him 
This is prophetically accurate. It comes from a source that is far more accurate than you guys because you've been fuddling around with what are these rivers and what's it. Meyer describes volcanic ash and dust that had filled in these canals in 1987. They, they don't discover that till 2009. It, understand my agony here dealing with all these profoundly wise scientists who don't want this to be true. They're not scientists. They don't want to know if it's true. They don't want it to be true because after all, they're, they spent all this time getting their degrees and now it means they're smart. But they're, they're less than intelligent. They are not scientific. They are trained to perform their functions. I met with another scientist, my girlfriend. We meet with, we show them the same thing and the photos and everything else. Oh, well, that's not my field of study. I just showed you stuff that is either the biggest hoax in the world, and you can tell me it is if you'd like to, or it's the most important thing you've ever seen in human history, and you tell me it's not your field of study? What are you? damn moron this is what runs our world and then you've got the same mentality allows this phony ufo et thing so what happened just the day before that is one of the ufo conferences that would never have me there invited me to present the singularly authentic billy meyer ufo contact contact in the desert June, May 31st, June 1st and 2nd. Well, what do you know? And there's going to be like 50-something other people there, all of whom I've called out as being phonies. I can't wait till they come up and ask for my autograph or try to shoot me, whichever comes first. So it's not about me. It's not even about Billy Meyer. It's not even about the ETs. It's just that this is the, the chain of command. Far more advanced people. I've got information on every planet in the solar system published by Meyer before we discovered it. Do you think these clowns want to know this? No. They want to masquerade. They want to prance around. Oh, my funding, my tenure, my credibility. Oh, you know. I had once professor, well, I had a professor at NAU up here for four months. I'll stop. Go ahead. Well, you're just, you're going on an epic tangent and tirade, man. So I just wanted to like just check in because I'm going to have to go in like a couple minutes. Um, so I want you to be able to share, you know, where people can find out more about this, you know, some closing thoughts, because I don't know if you want to stay in that direction. You're more than welcome to if you wish. But all of this is very, very fascinating stuff. I think that um, it's important to use the scientific method with all of this. So I looked at it and I'm curious about some of it, um, you know, and uh, the scientific method is definitely the way to go. So um, yes. And some of the concepts in this are very, very fascinating. So I just wanted to give you the opportunity to give um, some closing thoughts and, and how, whatever you want to share. Thank you so much for coming on and presenting all of this very interesting information. I'm going to be curious to see the comments on YouTube, uh, what people have found and they verified, what they have been able to disprove, if anything, um, and just UFO ufology in general, and just where people can get a hold of you if they want to dive deeper. Sure. I'll, I'll tell you this, there are people that will want to claim that Meyer hoaxed this or that, whatever. As Joe Tisk said, and he's a military investigator, I've got other people, we've got all sorts of analyses done by people using the scientific method and real technology. Not a bunch of jerks who think that they know something about something that they know nothing about, which is extraterrestrials, UFOs, scientific information, because it's not their specialty. 
it's like maybe you work in an office, whatever, maybe you do a good job. You do not know anything about this. Even if you are going to tell me that you're a true believer in Billy Meyer, I'm going to say, don't believe it. Go to the trouble to scrutinize the evidence, all that's been done, and do your own research. You will find, I can tell you this, and you can prove me wrong, it's okay. It's ironclad. Now, theyfly.com is my website. We've got tests that go back, you know, to the 1970s, late 70s and 80s. They Fly blog. Between those two, we have over 250 ironclad, error-free corroborations of specific examples of scientific information in at least a half a dozen different fields. This man could not know because the information was not known. Backdating? No. Copyrights establish when this man published the majority, not every single document, but the majority. That means we have books, documents with copyrights. I've run this by judges doing a mock kind of a courtroom thing. Who prevails, NASA or this case, with a retired judge in Las Vegas? You do. You have the copyright. Case, that's it. People should first learn how to think before they even bother thinking they know that the Meyer case is real or not real. I, nobody wants followers and believers here. Real life is too important. If what's in this case is true, it is about our future survival, which is very threatened. And everybody will shortly, if they don't know already, within this next year, as the disruptions, as the social breakdowns take place, including in America, as Canada and the U.S. have their troubles increase, and other things that are long foretold in this material, you will start to know that the source, at least, has been giving us accurate stuff. What's the reason? That we may evolve without blowing ourselves off this world. That's it. That we may become true human beings who are not at the drop of anything ready to beat each other's brains in that we develop a love for true love peace freedom harmony understanding wisdom compassion a cooperation understanding the laws of nature cease overpopulating the planet because it cannot keep up it's the core of most of the trouble of humankind and we can Meyer's been talking about that the illegal immigrations that happen in the world that disrupt the harmony for countries, what's coming with over 300 million economic and environmental refugees that will overwhelm all the countries on earth because we've been bad stewards and foolish. Oh yeah, there's stuff in here to irritate anybody. So I appreciate this opportunity greatly. Again, nothing to believe. I will answer any and all emails. I hope that you're viewers and listeners and people will have questions and challenges so that I can, if they don't find it themselves, which is even better, but if they don't, I will point you to where the information is that you can take the personal responsibility to think through and to vet and determine the truth of the matter for yourself. And this opportunity is all I could even ask for for anybody. Thank you, you've given me the opportunity to speak to you, your people, and we're all in it together. So the more at least we expose this thinking, the more opportunity to find out what the truth is. Holy crap, man. Well, that was, uh, that was an intense ride, my friend. I was on the other side watching and listening and being like, holy smokes, I have heard a lot of uh, very interesting information 
in my life. And I like what you're saying about uh, ultimately think for yourself, apply the scientific method. You don't have to believe anything, um, but you can go ahead and you can do your own research, uh, question your beliefs, argue both sides, um, and just vet the people, vet the information. Definitely don't believe me because I have no idea what the heck's going on, um, but I'll share my experiences to the best way that I know how. And um, I think, yeah, the point with like the ETs and UFOs and all that kind of stuff, you know, from what I've kind of researched is that, um, you know, there are histories that haven't really been popularized or told. I think that there is an influence of um, ETs and extraterrestrials. I think that what's happened over the few years that I've been into it, it has really grown. It's become a little bit more popular, like skateboarding. So, you know, as a skate, a couple people skated, then everybody skated, but, you know, a lot of people just got the gear. So uh, not all information is as credible as others. Um, so, yeah, just vet where it comes from. Roll it around in your your own nugget. Um, and I'll just kind of leave it with, like, you know, my friend David, who um, says some of the craziest stuff ever on the podcast, uh, the most wildest things in his history. But he'll say, you know, uh, take what you like, you know, disregard what you don't take with a grain of salt, but do three kind acts today. Um, go out there, do something kind, because then you're actually walking the path as you're, you're having your own experience. You're, you know, I like what you said about the spiritual aspect of just coming into yourself and finding out on your own, being your own master, your own leader. So that, that was definitely very well said. So, um, um, check out your website, thefly.com. Um, I appreciate you come on and sharing everything. And uh, yeah, man, we'll have to get you back on someday to share some more uh, incredible okay. research. If you get questions or anything, either your own or anybody else's, and they send them to you if you want, you can forward things to me and then we can stay in touch and develop another opportunity. So anything that assists you and, and your audience's uh, ability to learn and determine the truth, I'm glad to do it. Awesome. All right, Michael. Well, have an amazing day. I appreciate you coming on. Thanks everybody for listening. Catch you in the next episode. All right, guys, that wraps up this incredible episode. I invite you to watch it on YouTube because Michael provides a lot of slides, a lot of very interesting information. What do you think about this story? Do you think it's true? Do you think it's not true? Have you done your own research? Uh, what stories out there for you are the most compelling? Is it, uh, the Billy Meyer case? Is it uh, Bob Lazar? Is it uh, the Majestic 12? Look them up. Very fascinating stuff. Look up the 1952 UFO event in Washington. Look up Betty and Barney Hill. Uh, look up the Adam and Eve CIA story. There's a lot of stuff out there, and I don't know what exactly is true, but I know that some stuff resonates more than others, and there's definitely something going on out there. So um, would love to hear your feedback. Um, thank you guys so much for those of you who filled out the survey. I really appreciate that. You're going to have some great uh, courses and videos coming soon, as soon as I can get that a little bit more organized, And uh, but it's coming your way for sure. For those of you guys who are supporting on Patreon, I appreciate you. Thank you so, so very much for that. And for those of you guys who want some coaching, Coaching, whether it's one-on-one -on -one group organizations or teams you want to learn about flow state peak performance mindfulness any of that kind of stuff hit me up at matt at zenathlete.com and we'll put something tailored and specific for you and your group together and so that wraps it up i'm going to close it out just come into a state of peace and coherence so wherever you are in the world just stop what you're doing taking a deep breath in through your nose hold that breath and just let it out slowly coming to a state of peace coherence energy, empowerment, and ready to take on the rest of the day. So thank you so much for listening, and we will see you in the next episode.